So our church received another letter. I'm serious, y'all. This is not fake news. This is a real letter that our church received. It was addressed to me and Gateway Fellowship Church. You want to know where it came from? Waterburger. I was so excited to receive it. I couldn't wait to open it. And when I opened it, it was just full of free coupons for free food. And you can see we've already used a few of them. I wish that I could tear one of these coupons for a free Whataburger and give every single one of you one of these free water. But we're going to do for one what we wish we could do for all. In fact, I, we, we made a Whataburger run. We took one of these coupons and we sent our high school pastor to Whataburger. So give it up for Imrod. Fresh, hot Whataburger. Great job. Are there fries included? Great job. Yeah. Thank you so much. A lot of these coupons were buy one, get one free. Did you get one for your? No, they're both no. from him. Oh, two burgers. Oh, yeah. Double blessing. Double blessing from above. All right, so that's what we're going to do. We want to bless a hungry, it's after 11 o'clock, so we want to bless a hungry vet. All right? Do we have, oh, we actually had a couple here. I think I saw Navy both, right? Maybe together. Can y'all stand up for a second? They're both couple. Let's go ahead and bless them with Waterburger. Thank you, Matt. All right. Don't you love when you receive good letters in the mail? Have you ever received a letter that wasn't so good and it made you a little nervous, like I'm in trouble? Like that's what happened with some of these letters from Jesus to the church. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. I'm so excited that you're here as we continue this series, as we look at these letters written to the seven churches in Revelations. And we started our series by looking at the first letter. Uh, that was written to Ephesus. If you remember the map, right? It was these letters were received through a, a vision from God to the apostle John, who had been exiled on the island of Patmos, and he wrote these letters inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, from Jesus first to Ephesus. And remember what that letter was about? Returning to your what? Your first love, right? And then it went counterclockwise. We hit the port cities first. Smyrna, the big message was to endure hard times. Last week, we discovered how important it is to protect your heart from compromise from the outside. Now we're going to make our way inland to the fourth letter, which is Thyatira. And the big idea of this letter is to protect and guard your heart from negative influences inside the church. Inside the church, a very important letter. And so these letters were written, meant to be read out loud to all the churches. So all the churches heard about all the others. All right, so this was, uh, Thyatira was a very unique place. It was not a port city, it was more inland, but it was located right along the Lycus River. And so it was smaller than the other cities, but it was important because it was very strategic as a center of commerce. So many people in this city, they, they were potters, they were shoemakers, they made clothes, they were, they were tailors, linen workers. And so they would provide a lot of materials and goods for the rest of the area, and then they would ship them down the rivers to, to help other cities and other places. 
Thyatira was very uniquely known because of its purple dyes made for the wealthy. It was only, uh, they would extract this purple dye from this special snail that was only unique in that region, and they would make purple robes. And so the, 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 the purple dye makers were very, very wealthy. Now, to understand Thyatira, you've got to understand their guild system, their trades. Like all of the shoemakers were part of this, what you can imagine to be like part of a union, or they had a special camaraderie, kind of like a, a, a branch in the military. They took care of each other, protected each other. When one person had a death in the family, the others would rally and, and give them money to support them during the difficult time. If you were not part of a guild, man, you were out on your own. You didn't receive the benefit of getting wholesale prices. And so it was important to be a part of this guild. It was necessary for productivity and success. Uh, the guild sound helpful and wonderful, but it became a very serious problem for the church, for those who were in the church, because every guild had their own God. And they would come together uh, once a year for a festival, an event where they would eat food that had been sacrificed and blessed by a God. And then a party would break out where everybody in that guild, the, like the men were encouraged right after the meal, to buy a prostitute, have sex with her, and this was not only accepted, it was required so that the guild would receive blessing from the God. And so it was, man, this was in order to stand, have a good standing with the guild, you, you had to do this. And so every Christian who was part of the church in Thyatira, but also in a guild, had to make a choice. Would they compromise their faith in Christ and what they had been taught so they could remain wealthy and in good standing with the guild? Or would they sacrifice wealth and security and remain faithful to, their, to who Jesus is and the, and the principles found in the word of God? And so it was under that context that this letter was written because these group of Christians, there were some of them there that actually believed it was okay to, to move the line. It was okay to compromise, to be a part of the church, to, to be in good standing with God, but also commit sexual immorality. They believed that that was okay, and that group was growing in the church. And that's the problem when, you, when you're willing to pick up a line and move it. Those of you who have ever worked in construction, nowadays to have a, a clean line, you'll use lasers. And those lasers will show the lines, and then that's where you would make the cuts. But several years ago, you would use a plumb line. How many of you have ever used a plumb line? So it was like a line, it had chalk in it, and then you stretch it out, then you pop it, right? And it makes a clean line. So what was happening is they were moving that line. That once was there, they're moving the line. This, was, this line was the standard. It was what, it, what, what God's will was and his commandments, and they were compromising. They were moving that line, not because of external influences in the world, but mainly because of internal influences. And so they were taught, they were like, man, they, they felt justified that in order to stay in good standing with the guild, then I can, I can compromise. Um, this is what it takes to be relevant. And so as you can imagine, the Lord was not happy. And so he writes in verse 18 of Revelation 2, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, these are the words of the Son of God. 
Now remember the context in Roman culture. Thyatira was no different. It had been conquered, settled, and conquered many times before it came under the Roman Empire in 133 B.C. And it was encouraged. They lived in a polytheistic culture where many worships, the different idols were tolerated as long as you worship the Roman emperor. And you could worship Jesus. He could be a God, kind of think of Hinduism, but he was not the God. So when Jesus says that these are the words of the Son of God, he's not playing around, right? He says, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like the burnished bronze. Have you ever seen your spouse or a parent with eyes that look like they were blazing with fire? Anybody? Like, you saw that look in their eye. You knew you were in trouble, right? Like, you just embrace yourself. So that's how, that, that's how they must have felt. But, but, but Jesus commends them. He says in verse 19, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. This is the only church that was commended for their love. And because their love and their faith grew so much, so did their good deeds, their works. Now, a lot of churches, I'll be honest, they they follow the 80-20 principle. Have you heard of the 80-20 principle before? That 20% do 80, 20% of of the group does 80% of the work. Not this church. This church was growing in their love and in their faith, and Jesus saw it and saw that their works were greater than it was at the beginning. Like they were rolling up their sleeves. They were serving each other. They were meeting needs. They were giving. They were taking care of the orphans. They were taking care of the widows. They were serving people. They made a difference in their community, and Jesus commends them for that. But God doesn't just see the good. He sees it all. There is nothing Hidden from God. In verse 20, it says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into what? Sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So in Thyatira, This false teaching was mainly coming from one specific woman named Jezebel. And she was teaching, she was claiming to receive a word from God that this false teaching said that they could remain in good standing in this church and still participate in sexual immorality, still participate with eating food that was offered and blessed by a false God. So according to Jezebel, it was necessary and acceptable. It was like this teaching was accepted in the church because it was convenient. It was comfortable. It gave them permission to continue in what felt good and in sin. She told people what they wanted to hear. Paul would write, he would prophesy in his letter to 2 Timothy. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say that their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, to false doctrine and teaching. And the person that Paul had in mind was someone like Jezebel. She, she, the Bible says, Jesus says that she called herself 
a prophetess. In other words, she, she claimed to receive messages and words from God and she would give them to people. Now, as a church, from your pastor, I, we are a spirit-filled church. And I encourage, pray, hope, and eagerly desires for the spiritual gifts to be in operation in our church. I believe that we're living in a time and age and we have a mission to proclaim the good news and make disciples. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need every gift that God would give us through the Holy Spirit. Amen. But with some gifts of, of prophecy and some gifts of, like Let's be honest, it, it can go too extreme. We can, you can get in the ditch, and it can be in the flesh, and it cannot be from God. And so if someone, whether it be in a small group or someone comes to you, even on this church property, all right, and, and they claim to say, I have a word from God, the first thing you need to do, you don't need to just believe it, all right? The first thing you need to do is go, does it align itself with the word of God? No word from anyone else claiming to be from God will ever be contrary to the word of God. Amen. This is the line. This is the standard. Second, does it glorify God? Does this word, does this dream, does this message, does it glorify God? And then you take that word. And then you, you bring it with someone else, maybe someone of spiritual authority, a parent, a small group leader, a pastor, and say, hey, this one's what's spoken to me. And what, what do you think? Do you think this is really from the Spirit of God? And then ask, does it bear witness with your spirit? Does it lead you into to wanting to become more like God and to, to, in his character and to obey and to please him? Is it helping you grow? Does it encourage you or does it bring condemnation or, or confusion? You, the words of God will bring clarity and it will help. So those are, those are important steps. Don't just listen. You need to discern the spirits and discern whether it's from the Lord. Now for those of you who may operate or have experience, I, I, I want to encourage you to do this if you really feel like you hear from God. But can you just, like sometimes, let's just be honest, sometimes we're going to miss it. All right. Sometimes you're going to eat a bad pizza. And you may not, it may not be from God. Be very careful to say this is from God. All right. Maybe you say, I, I, I sense this is something that I feel impressive and praying and it may come, but man, just like, but don't just come out guns blazing. This is from God. And then and if it's contrary, you ask yourself these questions. Does it line up? With the word of God. Is it clear? Does it bring edification even in the long run? Because if it's not and you're leading people astray and you're bringing confusion, um, let's all be protectors of the flock, all right? And, and be on guard And because we're not going to tolerate false teachers and people who are bringing confusion and division under the cloak of it being God's word. Amen. And so this was happening. This was being justified, and, and she was having her way, and it was continuing. And, again, it was like people were following it. They were obeying it, and, and the group was growing because it gave them permission to sin. It was tolerated. And don't we hear that word a lot in our culture today? The buzzword seems to be tolerate. If you tolerate something, it's the most loving thing to do. You can tolerate someone's beliefs their lifestyles, their sinful choices. Hey, it's up to them. I don't need, I don't need to get personal. I don't need to, to say anything. But if you're not tolerant, then you are a hateful person. That's kind of like the perception, right? If you say anything uh, that's contrary to someone's preference or choice or lifestyle or sin choice. But can I tell you, like, we, we don't get the choice of watering down the word of God. 
the most loving thing that you can do is not to condone it or to be silent. The most loving thing that you can do if you have knowledge and you see someone on a wide road of destruction is to pray for this person and not come to them in a spirit of pride or you're better than or you're condemning. But after a time of prayer and even weeping for that person, you come and say, my brother, I love you. I've been praying for you and I'm very concerned. This is what the word of God says. And you're going in a, distru- in a way that's bringing destruction. It's not bringing you closer to the Lord. So repent of the sin and turn to God. That is the greatest thing that you could do, the most loving thing that you can do. And we need to do that as a church together, as a small group. But as you are empowered to be a light and salt in your marketplace, in your neighborhoods, along uh, in, the, in the family gatherings when there is opportunity, you need to be bold in your faith. But this woman, Jezebel, she specifically, Jesus was concerned because her false teaching was leading to sexual immorality. I'm 50 years old now. And I've seen over the last 40 years where the, the moral fabric of our country is becoming unwoven in the area of sexual purity. And I'm greatly concerned. I'm concerned because the cultures of the world are starting to influence the church. I'm seeing things taught in other churches that are contrary to the word of God. And it concerns me. May we as a church always uphold to the standard of the word of God as it relates to sexual purity. That sex is God's idea. He created it to be a gift between one man and one woman who are in covenant marriage relationship with each other. And it is only there where God's blessing will come. Amen. And so let's embrace it. Let's be a church that embraces that conviction and that standard, that we don't move the line, that, that, that when we stand before God in eternity, he can look back and go, man, GFC, they held true. They held true to the convictions in the word of God and the character of God. Amen. And the Bible confronts sin, right? Jesus did to the woman who was caught in adultery. Yes, he saved her life. He, he, he protected her. She didn't get stoned. But he looked her in the eyes and he said, go and sin no more. And that truth, the word of God, will make us feel uncomfortable at times. When our lives, when we are actions and our attitudes don't please the Lord, the Holy Spirit will convict. Not to condemn, but to convict, to lead us to change, to renew our mind, to help us to be transformed and sanctified so we can look more like Jesus and have a good relationship with the Lord. And it's not my, my desire to make anybody mad, but I do have a responsibility. I'll stand before God and I will teach. I commit to you to teach the full counsel of God. And at times that's going to make us feel uncomfortable. Sometimes the truth hurts, right? But Jesus says in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I want you to be free. I want you to have a clear conscience before God and before others. And if we read, not just we, I want you to read. I want you to daily abide with the Lord where you're studying and reading the Bible for yourself and growing in your own relationship with the Lord. We want to help you become devoted followers of Jesus. But oftentimes you can't just lead a, a horse to water and force him to drink. you got to drink on your own every once in a while. 
Not just depend on that once a week feeding when you come to church, but get hungry for the word of God. Learn the gospel. Learn who Jesus is. Learn his commands and obey them. That was his desire in the great commission, right? To go into all the world and make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all of my commands. And lo, I will be with you always. Some of us are not sensing the presence of God in our lives because we're not obeying the commands of Jesus. We don't know them. So study the gospel of God. Be hungry for scripture and obey all that is written. Don't skip the parts that make you feel uncomfortable. Don't skip the parts that aren't culturally acceptable. It's the full word of God. Amen. But there were teachers there that were teaching this truth of the false teaching of Jezebel. And it was more attractive. And she was gaining followers. And the letter continues in verse 21. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Unless they repent of her ways, I will strike her children dead. Now, this, when it's talking about her children, it's talking about her followers, God is a loving God. He's full of mercy. We, we see in 2 Peter that, that God desires that none should perish but all come to repentance. He's patient so that all we come to repentance. And this was his heart here with, with this woman and his followers. He's, he's given her chance. There's, there's been warnings. But he won't tolerate sin. He won't allow it. When he sees that it's not just affecting these people, it's affecting other people in this church. It's affecting other churches. The other churches are hearing what's going on in Thyatira. And it's causing problems. It's causing doubt and questions. And God takes seriously sin. And when sin is not repented, it's not confessed of, and you continue going in that direction, then you will face the judgment of God. They will face the judgment of God. And it was harsh. It was sickness, suffering, and even death. This should encourage us to have a holy fear of God and who he is. That his patience and mercy is always there. And that he will give time to repent. But God's desire is that no one should perish. That's why he's given us his son, Jesus. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, reminds us that forgiveness is not a cheap grace which justifies the sin, but a costly grace that justifies the repentant sinner. If we humble ourselves and we're honest and we're sensitive to the conviction of the Spirit and what the Bible says, and we confess and repent of our sin, the Bible says that we will have forgiveness, that there will be reconciliation. That's the hope. That's the good news. But if you harden your heart and you turn a deaf ear, even if you worship God with your lips, but your hearts are far from the Lord, then the the judgment is real, and oftentimes it can be quick and severe. I imagine when this letter was being read out loud that there was some quick repentance. There was some people that were turning from God, and, and there were tears and brokenness. Jesus goes on to say, Then all the churches, including us, <laughs> will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you 
according to your deeds. Once again, God sees, God knows, and there is nothing hidden from the Lord. Now, I know we're hearing from one of our young men in our church family, and it may be causing some of you to be distracted. Oftentimes, a sweet family will sit in the balcony, but this is a young man who has special needs, and we know his family, and we've talked to him. So at times, you may hear something, and I hope it doesn't cause you to be too alarmed. We love them, and can we just express our love to this family, and you're an important part of our church. But Jesus... He prays. He desires the church, the bride of Christ, to be pure, to be sanctified. And in verse 15 of John 17, the whole chapter is Jesus' beautiful prayer for not only his followers then, but for his church now. And he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now Jesus is expressing this heart and this desire in his prayer, even for this church. In verse 24, it says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. He's saying, hey, there are those of you in the church that you're seeing the compromise. You're seeing those who are following Jesus, and you're not doing it yourself. You're not giving in. And, and Jesus is like, I see you. I see you who are faithful. I see you who are not giving in. He says in verse 25, only hold on to what you have until I come. He's saying don't give up. Don't compromise. Hold true to who I am. Hold true to the word of God because I am coming back, and I'm coming back for my bride, and there will be rewards. That's the wonderful blessing. In verse 26, he says, To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, and he will dash them to the pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. He's saying, those of you who are faithful, you're going to rule with me. We will have victory. We know how it ends. We serve a God who is an overcoming God. Jesus' name. It says that every name will, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that he is king. So may we stand strong to God's promise so we can receive his promise. Will you stand to your feet? Would you just express gratitude to God's word and to his spirit that's with us. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. Said for there's no greater love than this than he who would lay down his life for his friends. On Veterans Sunday, we're reminded of all of the vets who have been willing to do that. And we pray for blessings on their life. Pray for healing physically and over the emotional trauma that they experienced. God, I pray for all of the followers that are here, part of this church. I'm thankful for many who have remained true. Father, during a time where the culture is changing before our eyes, Lord, may we be 
your children that do not compromise because of external or internal influences. Help us to remain strong and faithful till the end. Lord, if there's any areas of our life where there's compromise, I pray that you would bring conviction in this moment. May we examine our lives, examine our hearts, and may we take on the humble posture of a servant that says, Father, nothing is off limits. We surrender.